Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of my Facebook Live, Instagram Live, where we're gonna be talking about all things curriculum. Uh, if you don't know me already, I'm married to Daryl. We've been married for 32 years. We have eight kids, ages 17 to 30. We have seven grandkids. We've been gra- we've been homeschooling for over 26 years, and we have um, graduated seven so far. So I have some thoughts on curriculum that I want to share with you today. But before I do that, just want to throw out there: if you don't already know, I am the author of the Four Hour School Day, which just came out in June. How you and your kids can thrive in the homeschool life. If you haven't checked that out, please go do that. You can do it at my website, DorendaWilson.com, or you can go to Amazon or any of your favorite booksellers. Also, I wrote The four, um, the Unhurried Homeschooler a few years ago, and uh, well over 30,000 families have enjoyed that book as well. It's a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, again, available on my website and also available on, on Amazon. I'm also, I also do a podcast and um, I just share my experience, you know, over these well over two decades of homeschooling. Um, there's a lot to share. And I'm, I, my goal is to make homeschooling doable um, because it really is more doable than we realize. So um, let's just jump right in. So when people Oh, I'm also the host of my podcast. I told you that, but I didn't tell you where to go. You can go to major platforms or you can go to DorendaWilson.com. All right. So when people find out that I've homeschooled all eight of our kids from the beginning with seven graduated so far, sometimes the first question they ask is, what curriculum did you use? So I always kind of cringe when they say that because, I, I mean, I know there are a lot of reasons that... Um, that's the first question that they ask. But um, my fear is always that they think the answer is in the curriculum. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of lies first that we often believe about curriculum, kind of myths to debunk. And one of those myths is that if we find the right curriculum, we can be assured that our kids' homeschooling journey will be a guaranteed success. So that can really be a rabbit hole um, that's really hard to come back from. So I want to really, um, I want to deal with that myth right now because it's very deceptive. Um, If you know anything about a lie, every lie has an element of truth. So choosing a good curriculum is somewhat important. However, it's not nearly as important as one might think. The truth is that curriculum is a tool, okay? But it's not the only tool we need, and it's not even the most important tool that we need, believe it or not. As valuable as it is, it's not the most important tool that we need. If we're going to do a project, say we're going to do build something or we're going to create something, um, you know, maybe we're going to garden or we're going to create a tapestry or we're going to paint, um, you know, just about any project requires tools, right? And typically they require more than one. And more importantly, you need to know how to effectively use um those tools. So if you try to use a screwdriver to do the job of a hammer, your efficiency and effectiveness, um, your success, and even the enjoyment of the process is going to decrease significantly. 
Um, before I continue, can someone on Instagram tell me if I am the right direction or if I am actually recording sideways? <laughs> I think I did that last time. So if you could let me know real quickly. Um, yeah, can someone just make a comment real quick? Am I doing this sideways or are we, are we good? Let me know before I continue. Sideways, okay. That's kind of what I figured. So let's see if I can switch this around. Um, and make it so that it's not sideways. Okay. All right. Well, what I'm going to do is just lean it up against here. There we go. Now we're good. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. I, I remember doing this last time and thinking, I've got to make sure that I am not sideways next time. So thank you for letting me know that. And I want you all to know that when I'm done, just... Uh, sharing a little bit about the curriculum, I am, will be taking questions and, and uh, trying to answer them. So we need to know how to use the tools. We need the right tools, but we need to also know how to use them. That's even more important because what's going to happen, like I said before, um, if you try to use the wrong tool for the job or you misuse the tool, your efficiency, your effectiveness, and your success, and even the enjoyment of the process is going to decrease significantly. You will find yourself frustrated and you may even want to quit. Okay, so this is what's happening when we're not using curriculum well um, or we're not realizing that there's more than one tool we need to be using when it comes to that curriculum or we're only using we need to only use parts of it. And I'm going to be talking about that in just a minute. And the kids, too, they're going to get frustrated and want to quit as well. So let me just reassure you, there is no perfect curriculum out there, okay? We live in a culture and in a world that is so heavily marketed, and we're constantly being bombarded with all kinds of options. So your biggest challenge um, is going to be reducing, really reducing your exposure to that because that is going to really uh, weigh you down and cause you to maybe not make the best choices. Um, so we want to go into this thoughtfully. Again, I'm going to repeat, there is no perfect curriculum out there. So let's talk about the seven, uh, the second common lie or myth that we believe about curriculum is that we have to spend a lot of money on curriculum in order for our kids to have a decent education. Well, let me tell you what, every product out there. Every company that has a product out there is going to try, may try to convince you otherwise. Not all of them do, but that, let's face it, they're going to want to sell you their product because they believe it is the best product out on the market. Well, guess what? We can't do it all. We've got to, we've got to use discernment as we are choosing curriculum for our families. And what discernment is, it's discernment is the good thing, looking for the good thing in that situation. And the good thing would be the thing that's a good fit for you and your family. Okay, that's using discernment as we're looking for curriculum. But um, this whole idea that we have to spend boatloads of money, it's not true. But again, every lie has an element of truth. Sometimes we do have to spend a little more than maybe what we planned or wanted to or, you know, a decent chink, uh, chunk of change 
on a curriculum that we are confident is going to be very beneficial to our children and make our job easier as parents. For example, uh, teaching textbooks was one that I used, um, not with all of my children, but with some of my children. And and the reasons were that it helped my uh, my my child be more independent, which I needed and was good for them as well. Uh, their work was corrected. I didn't have to correct it. The grades are uh, kept track of in the in the system. And the company offers really good parent support. Um, the other way we another uh, way that we might make this decision is realize that it's something that we're going to use for more than one child, either more than one child at, you know, now, or we're going to use it for a child now, and we're going to use it for a child later. For instance, you know, when you're buying living books, you know, those are going to get reused. You're going to reread them to the other children, especially if you're buying them for your older, you know, your oldest child or your oldest couple of children, and you have more children after that, you're going to use those books. And if nothing else, keep them to read to your grandkids. I have a whole library of books that I kept so that I could read them to my grand grandkids because, you know, they were good books. They were living books. Um, another way we might make that decision is maybe, yeah, this is really simple, but like we'd buy a dry erase or reusable handwriting um, papers. I uh, talked about this. I, I saw this online somewhere um, where there was a little indentation um, and, a, and a pen or pencil that I think could be erased and reused. And then you can just, they can practice as much as they want. And you keep can keep reusing it um, over and over and over again. So um there's just a lot of there's some things to consider when you're when you're purchasing curriculum. Just because it's expensive doesn't make it better. Just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. My encouragement to you is keep things as simple as possible because the truth is I don't believe we ever listen to me carefully. We ever have to break the bank, blow the budget, overspend on homeschooling our kids. And there are some reasons that I believe that. The first is we want to be good stewards of our income, whether it's the income that our, you know, maybe we're working part time and our husband, you know, it's it's our income. We're both bringing in income. We want to be a good steward of that. Um, my husband, we had a single um, income. We were a single income family. I wanted to honor my husband's provision by being as careful as I could. Um, and so we want to be good stewards of that. The other thing that I've learned along the years is, uh, or through the years, by thinking this way, um, was was it, it encouraged me to be content, to be content and trust God for provision. Um, you know, everything our family does, the way we homeschooled, everything was from a place of faith. So I'm always going to speak from a place of faith. And um, I can tell you, he was very, very faithful to our family. So um, when the kids were really little, I knew I didn't have to buy a lot of expensive stuff. And I, but I wasn't even sure what would be the best. I, I didn't know, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, I know that sounds very antiquated, but honestly, sometimes I can tell you it was a total blessing to just be content with what we had and content with what God provided. And so I asked God to bring me what he wanted for the kids that year. And I was at a yard sale and I ran across this set of like 
books that were kind of all inclusive with some activities and some stories and different things. And I had a couple of things at home and I, um, I committed myself to just being content with what God brought me. And this is another thing we can do with our kids. We can pray with them. Say, Lord, we we want to know what, how, how do you want us to do math this year? What, what could you, you know, what, what do you want to provide for math this year? Um, and this leads me to the next question or the next point in having this opportunity to practice contentment. We can first think about what we already have. Like, what do you already have on hand? And I would ask, you know, and ask the Lord for wisdom and creativity and how to use what you already have well, how to maximize that. Um, And like I said, you can pray this with your kids so they can be part of the process as well. Um, Trust me, he will honor that prayer. He loves to provide. um, Like I mentioned before, we live in a culture of wealth that leads us to forget our need for God. And consequently, we lose out on experiencing that that faith-building experience of, um, you know, seeing God provide and, and seeing Him either provide physical material for, for us, book, specific books or whatever, but also providing like creativity. There is something so satisfying about problem solving and being creative and intentional and prayerful and thoughtful about using what you already have. Um, so I just want to encourage you not to sacrifice that opportunity to uh, build your faith and to build your kids' faith um, on the altar of fear and self-sufficiency. Like I met, like I mentioned before, you know, we don't want to miss out on the opportunities to see God provide. Like I said, we live in a wealthy, we live in a wealthy culture. Like we can just push a button and we have what we want. But what if instead we recognize that? Ultimately, it's always God that provides those things that we need. Um, Everything we have, everything good comes from him, whether it comes through Amazon or whether it comes through prayer, uh, creative creativity that comes from prayer, um, from looking at what you have. You can be asking your friends, like, I'm looking for something. Do you have anything you're not using that you would loan us for a while? So that's another thing you can do. Um. You can use homeschool curriculum sites. Awesome. I've gotten some awesome deals on there. They're also a great place to sell something that you realize just isn't going to ever work for you or your family. So you can swap those dollars out, you know, by selling that on there and then um, going and purchasing what is a better fit for you. Reach out to your local homeschool community. That's another place that you can do that. You can either get used or uh, from other other people in the homeschool community or trade what you're not using for what you're going to use, what you actually would use, like I mentioned before. Okay, the third point I want to make, especially in the early years, you do not need to spend money on curriculum or at least not much. Why do I say this? Because at this phase of the game, developmentally, they are far better off to be doing hands-on things in real life with you. So you do not have to buy special things 
you can if you want to. There's some great things out there. So there's some Montessori stuff out there that I think is is pretty cool. But you can get ideas from that and use the things you already have at home to do the same thing, right? How can we be resourceful? How can we problem solve? How can we um, do these hands-on things with our kids? But really, they just love doing real-life things with you. This is how they learn best at this age. You actually give them a jump start by being patient and only doing what they seem ready for and what and what they enjoy because you you're you're introducing them to well you're not introducing them to learning because they've been learning all along. But in terms of developing a relationship with learning, you want to encourage them by letting it be mostly fun, mostly enjoyable, mostly hands-on, a lot of play, creative play, building forts, that kind of thing. It's really, um, these are the years that the foundation is laid for higher learning. And so much of it happens through just doing everyday life with you. Your relationship with your child is of of actually the most important relationship at this phase of the game in the preschool and, you know, like um, through, you know, kindergarten to second grade, really. Their relationship with you is, you know, your role in their lives is actually uh, more important than, um, than socializing. Not that they can't, not that we don't want them to, not that we don't allow them to, But the priority really is your influence on your child during that time, because these are the years that the foundation of their character is being laid, and you want that to be the main focus. You need to be spending time with them in order to do that. You need to be engaged with them. And and I don't necessarily mean doing a math book or any or, or reading, but you certainly can if they're ready to, to, they're showing a desire to learn to read. Now, I talk about kind of what the signs are and what this sort of unhurried approach looks like. It's one we took with all eight of our kids and they all thrived. Now, let me tell you, that was a great uh, experiment because they were all different, right? But this whole unhurried thing worked really, really well to build a healthy relationship with learning by laying this really great foundation. Because um, the other thing that's happening is you're building that character in them. So you're you're taking the time to teach them good manners, to teach them what it looks like to obey you, to honor you, to speak respectfully to you. Um, you're building a foundation of relationships between siblings. And so if you focus on that and let the other things be secondary, what ends up happening is you're laying the foundation for higher learning. You're also laying a foundation for learning to be more enjoyable and efficient um, because your kids listen to you. You've, you've established a respect uh, from them for you. They know when mom says to do something that they need to do it. And there's a relationship there and there's bonding there. And, um, you know, we're teaching them, you know, we're, we're doing maybe some little chores. We're having them do some chores every day. I have podcasts about that. Um, if you go to the podcast page on my website, DorendaWilson.com, there's a search bar at the top of the podcast page put in any keyword. So if you want to hear, you want to, you know, learn something about or your, your kids are in, you know, early learning stages and you want essentials in um, early education. 
just put early education and and episodes will pop up there are over 250 episodes there so i would encourage you to go do that but i do talk about chores on that podcast on those uh, at the podcast as well so what we want is we want to lay that foundation where our kids we've got a good relationship with them they respect us they're um they're learning um their relationship with learning is 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 kind of you know got a good start and then as we go into higher learning, we've established a great foundation. If your kids are out of control and they don't listen to you and there's disrespect and there's mouthing off and there's talking back and they're not following through on chores consistently, um, I'm going to tell you that homeschooling is going to be a bit of a nightmare until that gets handled. And now if your kids are older and you're dealing with that, I encourage you to lay this the schoolwork down and to practice getting a rhythm down that's going to um, help encourage that good relationship with your kids, that good relationship with learning, um, the, the mutual respect between you and your in your child and all of that. So but in these early years, play is is really, really essential for our kids. Again, they don't need a bunch of special toys or special materials. You guys keep it simple. I can't encourage you um, enough to do that. So let's talk a little bit about how we use curriculum well. Um, In the Unhurried Homeschooler and the four-hour school day, I talk about being a, a student of your child. So We want to recognize our children's strengths and weaknesses. And we do this by observing how they interact with other people, how they interact with the world around them, how they interact with learning and um, the things that they're interested in. I just did a podcast with Dr. Kathy Cook on eight great smarts and eight great smarts for homeschoolers. Because here's the bottom line. Every child is smart. They're just, they just have different smarts. So some of the, uh, examples of the smarts that we talk about on that podcast are word smart, logic smart, body smart, music smart. And Dr. Kathy talks about kind of what you would be looking for in your child that would help show you what kind of smart they are. And so that's going to be coming out next week. So be watching for that. But we can adjust how we approach the subjects based on what we know about our child. Maybe they learn a certain thing better by hearing or maybe by seeing or by doing. And that can change from season to season. So we need to be a student of our child. We need to keep a pulse on where our children are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And this is going to help us choose our curriculum well. Uh, The second thing is to remember that we do not have to use every single thing offered in the curriculum. You don't have to do it all, moms. You don't. I'm just, I'm cutting you loose. I'm setting you free from that expectation. You don't have to do every activity. Pick and choose based on the child, the day, um, the season you're in. You have the freedom to be flexible because if you only choose what actually works, what engages your child, learning is far more efficient and enjoyable. We want it to be both of those things, right? You can be assured that they are, in fact, learning. If you're seeing those little gears grinding and and you see the wheels turning, 
if you know your child, you're going to be able to tell when a, a lot of times when that's happening. And there's just some parts of curriculum that aren't going to work. Some aren't going to work ever. Some aren't going to work on certain days. You get to make that call as a mom. Um, and by doing so, you can you can be a lot more assured that they are, in fact, learning and engaged in the learning process because we don't always know when they're learning. It's surprising, isn't it? Sometimes they pick up things in conversation. You have no idea until you hear it later. So, um, but we want to do the best we can when it comes to, you know, choosing curriculum to remember that we use it well. It, it is a tool. And the other thing I want you to remember is it's not your master, Okay. It is your servant. It is there to serve you. It is there to serve your child. And if it's not serving you well, it's time to rethink either how you're using it or whether it's a good fit or not. Um, maybe just in this particular season, who knows? So another way that we use curriculum well is to always keep the end goal in mind. For example, if you want to grow lifelong learners, then learning has to be mostly enjoyable. I used to have this little percentage thing that I would do. I would just periodically say to myself, maybe weekly, was learning this week 80% enjoyable and 20% perseverance? And if I said yes, that was a win. Because sometimes there is perseverance that happens and our kids are learning other things in those situations. We might be learning problem solving. We might be learning more about our child. They might be learning more about themselves. Maybe it's an opportunity to exercise and learn self-control. But at the end of the day, um, we want to always keep the goal in mind, the end goal in mind. So if you're more concerned that your child learns to deal with conflict in a healthy way, this is an example, you might need to lay aside the math lesson in order to walk them through a disagreement with their sibling. And here's a little spoiler alert. That is part of their education. They are still learning and they're learning some of the most important things in life knowing how to navigate um, sibling rivalry or just conflict in general, uh, learning, uh, being, becoming more self-aware of, you know, hey, I tend to do this in these situations and I need to learn self-control. You guys, those are some of the most important lessons in life. Like if they never make it through algebra, but they've got self-control, that's a win. That's a huge, huge win. Number four, Remember, when, you're, when, you're, when you want to use curriculum well, if you want to use curriculum well, you need to remember who you are as a mom, okay? You're not um, unimportant in this choice, okay? You need to consider who you are as a mom. Now, I had eight kids. Um, at one point, I had six kids, nine and under, four little boys, five and under, okay? So how I chose my curriculum and what I could handle in terms of being able to help my kids or, you know, be overly involved in a bunch of their learning, um, that wasn't my situation. I couldn't do that. So I nurtured independent learning as soon as possible. And honestly, it really benefited my kids. God knew what my kids needed and that's what they needed. And so to this day, they're still very independent learners. But it started back then when I recognized that as a mom, I couldn't do it all. I had to choose. I had to prioritize. You know, if I want, sometimes you got to, you have to, you know, you, you have this, this, this standard in mind and you need to bring it down 
to where it's it actually meets your circumstances, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. You are not, I mean, unless you're like, I don't even know, you know, you know your own heart, you know, I mean, if, if a mom is just trying to not have to do anything when it comes to homeschooling and do, you know, as little as possible and really isn't engaged as a mom and, and wanting to, you know, do what's best for their child, that's a different story. But I, I'm confident that the moms who are listening right now, that's not you or you wouldn't even be here, okay? So consider who you are as a mom. It's okay to put that variable in the, equa- in the equation, okay? Consider your family rhythm. You know, what breathes life into your kids? Like my kids needed to be outside in the afternoons. I needed them to be outside in the afternoons. So that was a win-win for both of us. They had to be out there for a couple of hours every day. It was just important to me. I felt like it was good for them. And, and it was. It all worked out, but that was part of our family rhythm, and that's what worked for us. And that big fat textbooks did not breathe life into our family. If I had a big fat textbook, all of our eyes glazed over, the children's and mine. I knew that wasn't a good fit for us. Sometimes it's a great fit for families, and, and then you should do that. But you only you know, mom, what breathes life into your family. Be watching for that. And be continually having a pulse on that. Because sometimes things breathe life for a while and then they start sucking the life. So we need to be aware of that. And keep in mind when I say that, one bad day does not, is not what makes the difference. It's, it is that thing that seems to be sucking the life out of us, is it the exception or the rule? If it's the exception, you might just be having a bad day or a bad week. And that's okay. Um, don't give up on it. But if it's becoming a regular thing, you might want to reconsider. So um, so your family rhythm, the season you're in, you know, when I had all those little kids, I had to recognize that them helping out and us working together as a team as we as as we sometimes needed to care for the younger siblings was actually um, it was actually part of our kids education. They were learning to serve weaker they were weaker you know those who are weaker than them is not what we want we want them to recognize when there's a need and to meet it again another wonderful life skill and then the fifth thing uh that we need to remember if we want to use curriculum well is um as i just want to share this as a mom of mostly grown children i can tell you that most of our kids learning when it comes to adulting well in all areas happens in real life not necessarily when they're in the books, okay? So your the education of your child is much broader than math, language, reading, writing, history, science, okay? It's much, much broader than that. But when we homeschool, we can integrate all of that together. And I talk a lot about this in the four-hour school day. So if you have an opportunity to pick that up, I think you would be super, super encouraged by it. Okay, so before I take questions, I just really quickly want to say, I'm just going to mention some of the curriculum off the top of my head that was my favorite curriculum during uh, certain seasons. And it's it's very brief because I didn't kind of I didn't go way back into the memory banks, but there's a few things that stood out to me. Um, My favorite curriculum for up to second grade We liked five in a row. Um, I think there are probably other things out there similar to it. It's a living books based um, program that you can do together with um, with uh, multi ages. 
Um, I also really, one that's recently come to my attention that I didn't have access to was um, Gather Round Homeschool. That's another wonderful one. If you have um, all different ages of kids, that's a really great one uh, for multi-level teaching. And I have a podcast with Rebecca Spooner, who um, is the founder of Gather Round Homeschool. And it's multi-level teaching, I think. Um, so if you just put that in the search bar on the podcast page, you can find that. It's a very encouraging um, podcast. So the other ones, honestly, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. We didn't do a ton of curriculum. But what I picked up, I picked up at Costco, the workbooks at Costco. I would pick up a workbook at Walmart because here's the deal. During those years, really, mainly they want to just be doing hands-on things with you. But if they're ready to start into some reading, uh, reading, I liked 100 easy lessons to teach your child to read, 15 minutes or less a day, worked for every one of my kids. Um, I, I know there's a few out there that it doesn't work for, but I think overall it's a very, very doable, very uh, applicable program that works for most kids and parents. Um, you know, so I would just get workbooks because here's the deal. They're just learning basic math, right? They're just learning to write their letters, write their numbers, learning how to read. They don't need everything to be fancy. They just need to learn these foundational things. And if we keep it simple and straightforward, and then we do hands-on stuff with them where they're like, you know, helping us bake, helping us make dinner, setting the table, doing some chores, um, that kind of thing, uh, that's, that's totally sufficient. Horizons Math was another one that my younger kids tended to use. Okay, so third to eighth grade, I really did love, not for all my kids, but teaching textbooks was one that we went back to a few different times. Horizons, and I, I mentioned it earlier why I liked it. it. It really did foster independent learning. Horizons Math, again, it was just books, you know, uh, workbooks. My kids knew, sit down, do this many pages every day. If you have any problems, let me know and I'll help you with it. You know, read the directions to me, tell me what it's saying, and then tell me what you think they're telling you to do. So I'm teaching them how to follow, read directions and follow them. That's a very important thing. And then eventually they get that down and I don't even have to help them with that anymore, right? So once they're reading and writing and doing basic math, I had my kids sit down every day and work in their workbooks. And um, they knew what they were supposed to do every day. And it was very freeing for me as a mom. Um, I was available and I checked it afterwards and we talked about it, but um, we didn't knock ourselves out. Okay. So that um, in those early years, so third to eighth grade, teaching textbooks, horizons, math, not grass history. We've really enjoyed uh, specifically the American history. That's what we've used. Saxon math, mainly for my boys who were very logic minded and very math minded. They loved it. Other, my other kids hated it. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship. But if you've got a math kid, they're probably going to love it. And again, they do not have to do every problem. Every other one is enough. And if they do poorly on that lesson, they can go back the next day. Um, once you've identified what the problems are, and they go back the next day and do the other ones. They can do the, you know, the, the, they did the odd ones that didn't go well. The next day, um, once you've figured out what together what's gone on, on wrong with it they can go back and do the even ones so super simple super straightforward learning language arts through literature I really loved between third and eighth grade depending on the kid okay because it covered every area of language arts which I loved because it was all inclusive but again there were some activities in there we just didn't do 
So it depends on the kid, season, all of that. Matthew C. is another one that we've enjoyed a lot. Um, in high school, you guys, it's not an exhaustive list. I'm just throwing some things out there that I, that I thought of um, that I know we kind of kept going back to. So high school, the mystery of history. The reason that I love the mystery of history is that she weaves world history and biblical history together because they do, they very much um, affected each other. And so our kids get this great overall bird's eye view. And in high school, they're ready for that. Like when they're in grade school, they're not going to really developmentally, they're not ready to understand that whole big picture. But when they get into high school, they are. So my kids did science and history as they were interested during the grade school years. And I explain all of this in the four-hour school day, why that was true, why it was beneficial. Um, okay, another one I love is the 101 series when it comes to science. So it's um, uh, biology 101, chemistry 101, physics 101, and now they're just coming out with a general science 101. Wonderful. Very, the kids can be very independent with it. Um, it's got a DVD with it so they can watch a lesson and then do the assignments. And the assignments are very doable. They're not overwhelming, but it is a legitimately um, complete high school science credit, each one. So uh, that one I absolutely love. So it's the 101 series. Um, and, and by this time, I knew what worked for my kids as far as math and language arts. Um, if I had a child who was still maybe still struggling just a bit um, in junior high, usually not in high school, but, you know, every kid's different. They were struggling with math and I wasn't sure they had all the basics down. We would go use the key two series which is little tiny workbooks that take you a little increments at a time through fractions, decimals. They're, they're all different. There's a workbook set for each topic. So you don't have to go through a whole curriculum doing everything. You can say, look, the only problem he's having, only thing he's having problems with is fractions. So let's go back and revisit fractions and we'll go through this key two series to make sure that foundation is laid. I always felt like if my kids know um, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fractions, decimals, and percentages, they can do life, right? They can. And so that was my goal. Like make sure that they have that. And if they have that, they can always go on to higher math should they ever need to. All right. The last one. Oh, the other thing that I always did was reading. My boys just weren't fans of language arts. And so what we did was, um, through all the grade school years and even into the high school years, we did we had them read and then write a summary of what they read. And then I would go over it every day to kind of just check it, edit it, and all of that. Um, that was just what worked for us as a family. And that way I could combine subjects like history. They could read their history lesson and they could write a summary about it. And they have done history, reading, and writing all in one fell swoop. Okay, and these are the kinds of tips and direction that I give in my book, The 4-Hour School Day. And the last thing I want to share, I think every high schooler should do consumer math because it at least exposes them to the terms and the terminology that they're going to hear when they go to get insurance, mortgage, buy a car, um, all, the, all the adulting things. We want them to know how to navigate life. And even if they don't fully get all of it, from that consumer math book, usually the senior year um, was the year I would do that because they were 
thinking about the fact that they were motivated. They're about to launch into, you know, past the diploma, past graduation. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is real life. I'm going to need to know how to do this stuff. And so they were a lot more motivated to learn it and retain it. So I would highly recommend consumer math um, at that point in the game. So um, I'm going to close off my um, this podcast here that I'm recording real quickly, and then I'm going to take questions. Um, just remember uh, to check out the Unhurried Homeschooler. It's a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling. I would say it's better if you're in the younger years or if you're just starting out or you're considering it. And also the four-hour school day at any phase of the game, this book is helpful. Whether you've been doing it forever or you're just thinking about doing it or you're somewhere in between, I think you're going to find it very affirming. It's very affirming to you as parents and it's going to give you the confidence that you need um, to move forward with homeschooling the way it works for your family and not feel guilty about it, right? And then be sure to check out my podcast, the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm on all the major platforms and I'm also, you can find me at DorendaWilson.com. So thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this time of encouragement talking about all things curriculum. Mm-hmm.